Tonight's talk is about wisdom and compassion, or another title might be acceptance and action. We've been talking a lot about connecting with our lives moment after moment, um, becoming interested in our lives. I'd like to talk a little bit more about what we mean by that. And I'd like to talk a little bit about what we can learn through this investigation of our lives moment after moment. And then a little bit about what that means for how we manifest in the world. So our exploration starts with this precious quality of mindfulness. Mindfulness is about getting here and paying attention to what's happening. As you all know, it, uh, it isn't an easy thing to do. First you have to get here and then you have to pay attention. But mindfulness is a special kind of attention. It's a kind of deep awareness um, on a more profound level than we usually think of paying attention So it's not about kind of the superficial, conceptual level of life where we often live, a lot of in our thoughts, but it's about a very direct experience of life. So we're not satisfied with like the idea of a breath, but we actually want to connect directly with our breath. Or we're not satisfied with just the idea of the pain in the knee, but we go and we explore what What is pain, you know? What is this supposedly solid thing that we call a pain when we look at it directly? Or we're not satisfied with just the idea of an emotion, like anger. But we want to look, you know, what is an emotion, really? I mean, it's really just body sensations and thoughts. It seems so powerful. You know, so we look closely, well, how powerful is an emotion? Same with thoughts. Thoughts seem like, I mean, they control our lives, but when you turn your awareness to thought, have you noticed what happens to it? You know, so it's this kind of attention, um, a very direct attention to what's happening in the moment. This is what we mean by mindfulness. So it's very much a kind of fresh attention, a a beginner's mind. Like I said, connecting with life and not our ideas about life. And I think most of you know that we often very much live in kind of this world of ideas and concepts and kind of an imaginary life that often actually isn't really connected to, um, first of all, to our bodies and ourselves, but second of all, to reality. I am... had uh, uh, an experience a few months ago that kind of illustrated this to me. I was um, in Northampton, Massachusetts, a town about an hour from here, and they have the best meter maids in the country. I mean, these guys are sharp. (laughs) You go a minute over, (laughs) they are on top of you. And um, I remember one time I was uh, picking up my laundry at the laundromat, and um, I did something I shouldn't have done. I parked in the handicapped spot for two minutes. I swear it was two minutes. I was just running into the laundry, grabbing my stuff and coming out. 
In those two minutes, a meter maid managed to arrive, write a ticket, and disappear. <laughs> this is how good the meter maids are in Northampton. So um, I had forgotten to put money in the meter, so I was um, rushing back to my car to put some money in. And I saw, and it was kind of darkish, and I saw a person standing next to my car and taking something out of their pocket. And I said, no, don't, you know, don't write it, I'm here. This woman looks at me like I was crazy. She was just taking a cigarette out of her pocket, you know. But I was so sure she was a meter maid, you know, <laughs> because, but this is what we do in life a lot, you know. We get so sure about things, you know, and it's all, it's all imaginary, <laughs> She, she really thought it was crazy. So um, we're trying to uh, learn here to come back more to reality, you know, to what's really happening, and to be interested, and to see life with a kind of freshness. An example um, I sometimes like to use is, uh, have you ever seen all the paintings that Monet did of these lilies? You know, he did a lot of them. And there was this exhibit in Boston a couple of years ago. And it had, like, the lilies he painted over 25 years. And, like, the first ones looked like lilies. And then as the years went by, it's like they looked less and less like lilies. But they looked more and more like what he saw. You know, it's like he was dropping into deeper levels of mindfulness. You know, the first paintings, he was painting his ideas of lilies. And by the last paintings, he was painting what he saw. You know, and so we're, we're exploring this whole realm of life between our ideas of life all the way down to what's really happening. I have another um, example of kind of this. The way we lose freshness with life by living in our concepts, we lose, lose contact with what's really happening. I work in um, a community mental health center in uh, Holyoke, Mass., and most of my clients are Puerto Ricans. And so one woman was sitting there, and she um, had only been in the country a couple months. So she was talking to me, and she looks out the window, and she says, Rebecca, there's the most beautiful bird out there. I was, and I like birds, and I, I do a lot of birding and stuff. So I was like, oh, really? So I go, and I look out the window, and I said to her, oh, that's just a blue, ba- blue jay. They're very common. You know, and... <laughs> And then I sat down, you know, and I thought about what I said. And it was like, I hadn't even seen the bird. You know, I had seen my ideas about blue jays. Who had really seen the bird? She had. You know, blue jays are incredible. I mean, if you really look at them, right? But we just, we don't look at them anymore. They're too common. You know, we're so used to them. And I think that's what we do with life, you know? We, we, quit, we quit seeing on many different levels, because we just we just live in our ideas. So one thing beautiful about meditation is, is kind of rediscovering the beauty of life by looking with freshness. I think somebody said to me today that she noticed that everything was just kind of brighter and more um, uh, more dramatic. And it's like... When you when you settle into this, you know you do notice that the flowers are brighter, the the um, the leaves are you know greener. It's like we we start to really see.
So when we talk about becoming awake or becoming aware, this is what we're talking about, you know, just bringing this freshness and interest to life. And it's really one of the big blessings of, of meditation is just that, that coming to presence. You know, we sleepwalk through a lot of life, and um, it's just really beautiful to, to show up more. The Zen master, Aiken, um, Aiki Dokin, Dojin, he said, um, what is the awakened mind? The mind that is intimate with all things. I really love that, you know. The awakened mind is the mind that is intimate with all things. Kind of blows out the idea that meditation is about escapism. Um, Meditation is about becoming intimate with all things. You know, starting with your breath. Just something so basic but so essential. So getting close to life and touching it deeply. So what do we become interested in? What do we become intimate, intimate with? What is life? And, it, and it's really um, interesting because it boils down to not very much. <laughs> I um, remember this experience that I had when I was around 15 years old. I used to go camping with my family. And we had a lot of kids. There were eight of us. And my dad would take all of us and about a friend each. So we would have around 14 or 15 kids, and we would go up to this land that a friend of my dad's owned in Minnesota. Nothing special, just some woods. And I used to um, like to go off to this meadow by myself, and um, I, I did something which I called finding myself. And what I would do in the meadow was... Um, basically Vipassana meditation without knowing that's what it was. I, I, I discovered that finding myself meant connecting with my senses. So connecting with the smells and the sights and the sounds and the feel of the breeze. And then I would notice that if I spent time lost in thought and not really there, that I felt like I hadn't found myself. You know, this is a different language than we're using. But what I discovered is that... Um, is the same thing that the Buddha says, that when we find ourselves or when we connect with life, basically life boils down to our sense experience, mind and consciousness. So it boils down to seeing, hearing, touching, smelling, tasting, thoughts, mind states, consciousness. That's it. If you find anything else, you can let me know. And so that's what we pay attention to, you know, and we've been directing you through um, these different experiences. This is what we get to know. So we connect to life um, through our senses. And I think a lot of the alienation that we feel in modern society is because we've forgotten how to do that. You know, we've become disconnected with our sense experience and live a lot in our minds and our heads. And so meditation retrains us how to connect with all of our sense experience.
So a big part of mindfulness meditation is interest. We're sitting here and getting interested in our lives. We're becoming interested, though, in all of our lives. Usually we're selective. Here, you don't get to be so selective. You sit down in the hall and what shows up, shows up. And we're practicing getting interested in all of it. So that's um, starting with the breath and then um, maybe pleasant uh, sensations in the body, maybe painful ones, maybe happiness, maybe sorrow. No, we just are open to whatever it is that comes up. It's very inclusive. That's what I love about this meditation so much, is it's very inclusive. We're not um, trying to deny any part of life. We're trying to open to it and understand it. It can be really interesting to notice when you lose interest in your meditation. You know, when you decide to check out. That's actually one of the most interesting moments. Is, you know, when is it that you, um, you're out of here? <laughs> you know, in your mind or whatever. Uh, is it when pain becomes too strong? Or do we decide to space out when um, a fantasy comes along? You know, it's pleasant. Let's just think about this some more. We can find, if we look really closely, what we'll find is that we check out when we can't accept life as it is. You know, that's when, we, when we're out of here. So we, that's when we pull back from an open connection with life. So what do I mean by accept life as it is? We talk about this a lot here too, you know, accepting life as it is. What does that mean? It really means accepting that we live in a world of constant change. We live in a world of pain and pleasure and of sorrow and joy. And we can't make it obey our commands. That's really the crux of living with life as it is. Part of that knowledge is that we can't make pleasantness stay, you know? We'd like to do that. That's what we usually want to do. And um, we also can't make unpleasantness not appear, you know? It's that uh, life unfolds as it does. This is basically our predicament from the moment that we're born. I have this poem um, that I like a lot. It's called the I am alive thing. My eight-month-old son is doing the I am alive thing. He churns his auditioning arms like pistons into the air, and the small engines of his legs begin their happy tournament of the long climb towards heaven. I try talking to him, but he's too full of the delight of his own being even to notice. He's busy scrutinizing the small miracles of pillowcases and sheets, discovering the sublimities of wallpaper. What a great happiness is his, finding a world made only for him, and the many wonders of flesh and fluids. But just hours from now, my small son's face will turn cranberry red. His legs will straighten into the air like sticks, his small fists will open and close like a climber's fallen from a cliff who is clinging to a shard. 
Already I realize my son will be learning something about this life. Already he will be practicing the other half of the I am alive thing, the pain thing. This is our predicament as humans. We've taken birth in a world where um, there is this mixture of pain and pleasure. So we have to learn um, how to deal with that. The Buddha said um, that we have three basic strategies we employ to deal with, with, with this world of constant change. Um, grasping, aversion, and delusion. Considered the three kind of roots of why we suffer in life. So grasping, when something pleasant is happening, we want to hold on, right? You'll see this even in your sitting. You're having a nice sitting, and you want it to stay. And when you come back in the hall, you look for it again. I want a sitting like that last one, right? So holding on to good what we consider good things, pleasant things. That's grasping. Then there's aversion, pushing away what we don't like, what's painful. Um, That's also quite easy to see. You know, your back hurts and you want it to go away. You just don't like it. Or you're restless and you just want to get out of here. You know, pushing it away again. And then delusion, the third strategy is kind of dulling out not really paying attention, not really being here. What's kind of interesting is that um, we all use all of these strategies, but most of us specialize in one. You may have recognized um, one strategy that you tend to use more than the others. I'm big on aversion myself. Um, but like I said, we all, we all um, use all these strategies. And the thing about these strategies is they disconnect us from life. They cause us to feel alienated. So holding on is a state of contraction. And when you're holding on to something, you actually don't experience it fully. Version is obviously a state of of alienation. And delusion, you know, you're kind of not even here. So that's pretty alienating. And our job and practice is to heal this disconnection by learning to be with life in all of its ups and downs, joys and sorrows. The thing we see is that life is a, is a package deal. You can't just choose. You know, I'm only going to have pleasantness and, and no unpleasantness. I'm only going to have happiness and no sorrow. And if we shut down to one, we see that we shut down to the other. Like, we have to learn to deal with all of life if we want to be open. Now, we don't live in a society that encourages this kind of learning to live with balance and and understanding, grasping, and aversion, and um, learning not to be kind of pushed around by them. That's what we're learning here. Uh, You know, we definitely live in a society that encourages wanting, you know, grasping, wanting, they're all greed. There's this one movie, I think, I don't remember what it's called, Wall Street or something maybe, and there's somebody said, greed is good. You know, and that kind of summarizes <laughs> our cultural um, uh, ideas. 
And then as far as learning to work with pain and to, you know, understand that we can increase our tolerance for pain and that it can be okay, that's not encouraged at all. Um, I remember watching, um, I don't remember what I was watching, something on TV, and this ad came on. And it was um, said something like this woman, maybe she had a headache. She goes, how much tolerance do I have for pain? Zero tolerance. <laughs> <laughs> And I thought, you know, if you have zero tolerance for pain, you're in trouble. <laughs> you know, I'm mean, obviously they're going to sell aspirin after that, but um, it doesn't. Um, it's not the strategy we're taking here. Or oh, here's one of my favorites. It's um, a my doll. Um, it's an ad for my doll. It says, "Complete relief, complete nirvana. All you need is my doll." <laughs> So um, if it didn't work for you here this weekend, maybe maybe will will do it. <laughs> but we get this all over in our culture, you know, really um, this message that you can control life and that you can make things only pleasant and, and you can get rid of all the unpleasantness. I mean, that's the message that um, we're tried to convince, you know, to believe and obviously to buy a lot of products to um, make it happen. Here we're saying that if you follow this kind of formula for happiness, this kind of trying to hold on to pleasant and, and um, push away pain, that you're, you're not going to find peace. You're going to be very restless. You know, It's an agitated state of mind to be reacting to life all the time. You know? And that if we want to find peace, the way to do it is to, find, is to figure out how to work with, with our reactive minds are grasping and pushing away minds. And that's actually what you're doing here. It's really difficult. <laughs> you know, sometimes you see the size of the beast and you just go, oh my God. <laughs> you know, you see that maybe um, there's this underlying level of anxiety that's there a lot of time. You know, it's like, Wow. But we can learn to work with this. That's what we're here for. And if you're having a retreat where you suffer and where you know it's it looks difficult, that doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong. You know, sometimes we come here and we think that we should be um, happy, blissed out, and having a good time. And if we're not, there's something wrong with our retreat. And furthermore, there's something wrong with us <laughs> because we haven't um, manifested this kind of retreat. That's not true at all, you know? One person called um, retreat controlled suffering <laughs> because you come here and we see, we see where we get tripped up. That's meditation. Seeing where we lose it, that's meditation. And that's where we can grow. And this present moment is our teacher. Christina Feldman said, the present moment is the most profound and challenging teacher we will ever meet in our lives. I like that. And it's true, you know, just sitting here and being with the moment, wow, we, we see some learning we need to do. And this is our lab, you know, we can think of this as our lab, that's another way of looking at it that we've set up this lab to study ourselves and to understand um, where we trip ourselves up 
and how we can return to a sense of spaciousness and peace and happiness. So we're practicing seeing how much alike we can accept. We can even start with the breath. Just with the breath, you can become interested in how much you try to control the breath. Most people discover at some point that they're trying to control the breath. So there, right there, there's wanting or aversion. You know, how much can we just let the breath be? It's really, a, it can be an interesting challenge. You know, so right there, we're, we're working with acceptance and with um, this, our strategies of, ex, of uh, grasping and aversion. Our stance is that whatever is happening is okay. I know you don't believe that. <laughs> but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> that it's really okay, um, whatever's happening. And that our job is, obviously, we, we do some skillful interventions. So again, when we talk about acceptance, it's not passivity. That's one thing I want to make clear. Acceptance doesn't mean you don't do anything. Acceptance means that um, you don't struggle against life as it is. But obviously, if you're sleepy, well, it's a good idea to see how to work with it. If you're restless, it's a good idea to figure out how to work with that. Um, but we work for, with it from a place of this is a skillful thing to do rather from a place of this is horrible and I want it to go away. So we explore these states of contraction, of grasping and aversion. That's how we learn acceptance, actually, um, is by seeing our non-acceptance, by exploring our non-acceptance. So we notice when grasping comes up. We notice when aversion comes up. And we learn to like turn right towards them and look at them. And um, slowly they learn, lose some power over us. But again, we don't have to take that personally. I, I, I had an um, experience a, a number of months ago. I don't remember how long ago it was. But I, I have two goddaughters who are um, 15 and 17. And I'd taken one of them out for dinner for um, her birthday. And afterwards, we got a free hot fudge sundae. And I love hot fudge sundaes. Hot fudge is good stuff. And so <laughs> we're sitting there. We shared it because I can't eat a whole hot fudge sundae. I like them, but not that much. But um, when I, I was just eating with them, and then kind of in this mindless moment, I saw this great hunk of hot fudge. And I took my spoon, and I pushed Davi, one of my goddaughters, I pushed her spoon out of the way so that, I, so that I could take a big spoonful of hot fudge. And um, they died. I mean, they thought it was so funny. <laughs> They're like, Rebecca, did you just see what you did? <laughs> Teenagers are good for keeping us humble and honest. But I laughed too. I mean, I also thought it was, um, it was absurd you know, that I would do that, you know? Um, but I was glad I could laugh, you know? I think that that's what I've learned in some ways from meditation. You know, maybe many years ago, I, I would have just gotten down on myself, you know? But I just looked and I said, well, look at that. Isn't that absurd? <laughs> and we can learn to do that with these um, states of mind that come up. So it's really okay. You know, we're all human. You're human. I'm human. 
Marv's kind of human, and um, <laughs> so um, uh, you know, we we learn um, to embrace our humanity. Sometimes it's shocking. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes it's stuff that comes up in your mind when you pay attention. You just go, "My, where did that come from?" You know. In fact, I bet there's nobody here who would be willing to let us um, hear their thoughts for one sitting. <laughs> and yet I think it's really um, it's healing to allow all of it to come up and to be seen and to be held in love and non-reactivity time's going too fast what time do I have to wait 15 oh my god um, <laughs> So we often think that practice is about getting comfortable. But actually, I think um, practice is about seeing where we're uncomfortable and making friends with that. Try that one on. No, not trying to get rid of um, what comes up, but seeing if we can um, um, somehow befriend it. And in this way, we can start seeing that um, problems are actually our teachers, that the problems that we have in practice are actually our teachers. And the truth of the matter is that a retreat where we learn a lot and struggle is usually much um, better in the end for us than a retreat where we just kind of sit and bliss out. You know, we want to we learn so that when we leave here we can use this stuff, right? And so the struggles are not bad. In fact, there's this Tibetan prayer that I like. Um, in the Tibetan tradition, there is a verse that aspiring yogis repeat before they begin to meditate. They say, Grant that I may be given appropriate difficulties and suffering on this journey so that my heart may be truly awakened and my practice of liberation and universal compassion may be truly fulfilled. Appropriate difficulties and suffering so that my heart may be truly awakened. So it's okay if it's uh, difficult. And by engaging then with the difficulty, with um, where we struggle, with when anger comes up or frustration comes up or um, craving comes up, you know, this is how we learn to accept more of life. Charlotte Joko Beck, one of my favorite um, teachers, a Zen teacher, says, what is created, what grows, is the amount of life I can hold without it upsetting me or dominating me. At first this space is quite restricted, then it grows a bit bigger, then it's bigger still. It need never cease to grow. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org.
donate.